We're very blessed. We're thankful that we have an orchestra here, but have the additional accompaniment to blessing here, too. Falls Baptist Church teens, thank you for being here for that. As they're kind of making their way out, would you just take a couple notes here? Uh, parents, if you've been contacted by Pastor AJ, we have a parent meeting at 5 o'clock tonight in the chapel with Pastor AJ. If your child, your, your young person is going to teen camp in a few days, please meet with Pastor AJ sharply at 5 p.m. tonight. That would be a blessing. Then I'd like to ask if you could jot this down as a prayer request. We didn't get it on our prayer page this week here for some reason, but um, I want to give you a prayer request. Our sister in Christ who's here this morning, Yulina uh, Solano, Yulina has three of her nieces that are under 21. All three of them are battling with cancer right now, and it's a very, very severe situation. If you can write down the names Tessie, Katie, and Becky, Tessie, Katie and Becky, if you'd put them before the Lord in prayer right now, the family would greatly appreciate uh, your involvement in prayer for them. And I don't know about you, but I can't imagine having three children one time, all under 21, going through cancer. It just kind of changes perspective about life and what's going on for us there. So I hope you'll remember them in prayer. And if you're a guest or visitor here this morning, and there are several, we're delighted you're here today. And we want this morning to be a delightful experience as far as the worship of God. And if you're visiting back with us or returning, we're just honored you're here today. And it's my honor just to be able to open the Word of God and to preach you today. Let's take our Bibles this morning go to Joshua chapter 10. Joshua chapter 10 this morning. We've been in a study for several weeks in Joshua 10, and I'm just thankful for how God's just kind of orchestrated the messages. Joshua chapter 10, and we're going to, it's a little bit late, I need to get moving here, but we do need to read a lengthy passage of scriptures. So I'm going to try to pull it all together this morning as best as possible. And uh, how, how many of you want to get more out of life this morning? Amen? You want to get more out of life? You want to get more out of your day? You want to get more out of your Bible. You want to get more out of praying. And we're going to see a passage of Scripture that teaches us how we can get more. And I hope you don't miss that this morning. Joshua 10, say amen if you're there this morning. Verse 1, Now it came to pass when Adonizedek, king of Jerusalem, had heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it, as he had done to Jericho and her king, so he had done to Ai and her king. And how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them. That they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city as one of the royal cities. And because it was greater than Ai and all the men thereof were mighty. Wherefore, Adonisadak, king of Jerusalem, sent unto Hoham, the king of Hebron, and unto Piram, king of Jarmuth, and unto Japhia, king of Lachish, and unto Deber, king of Eglon, saying, Come up unto me and help me, that we may smite Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Therefore, the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon, gathered themselves together and went up, they and all their hosts, and encamped before Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent unto Joshua uh, to the camp at Gilgal, saying, Slack not thy hand from thy servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites that dwell in the mountains are gathered together against us. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear them not. For I have delivered them into thy hand. There shall not a man stand before thee. And Joshua therefore came unto them suddenly and came up from Gilgal all night. 
And the Lord discomfited them before Israel and slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon and chased them along the way. They go up to Beth Horon and smote them down to Ezekah and Machedah. And it came to pass as they fled from before Israel and were the going down to Beth Horon that the Lord cast down great stones from heaven upon them unto Ezekah and they died. And they, well, they were more which died with hailstones than they whom the children of Israel slew with the sword. Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand thou still upon Gibeon. That's what every father says to their little boy. Son, stand still. Amen. But he says, Son, stand thou still upon Gibeon. And thou, moon in the valley of Ayalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed, and to the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is not this written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven, and hasted not to go down about a whole day. And there was no day like that before it or after it, that the Lord hearkened to the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. We are studying this morning one of the most incredible um, recorded events in the Bible. It's a real event. It's a true event when the Lord held the sun still for an entire day. How many of you feel like some days you need more time in the day? Amen. And uh, the staff members come by the office and say, Pastor, you need anything? And what's my answer? More time in the power of God. And the only time I could say that I've come close to getting more time is when you get on a plane and go to a different part of the world and the time changes. Amen. But even then, you're a little bit tired. And we're going to see here something that was never done before Joshua and something that has never been done after Joshua. We're going to see an incident, a true incident here, how the the day when the sun stood still. Now, Father, we have been encouraged and delighted today and, and, and just blessed in our hearts from the music we've heard and we've participated in from the reading of the scriptures and God just the fact that the presence of God is here at Heritage Baptist Church Father this morning we have read from the precious truth of the word of God the Bible says the entrance of thy word giveth light thy word is true sanctify your people through your truth even now Lord prepare our hearts cleanse us from all filthiness of the flesh and superfluity of naughtiness and that we may receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save souls Father, this this morning, we humble ourselves before the blessed word of God and acknowledge we are needy people and acknowledge, Lord, we need our our hunger intensified and our thirst intensified from the Lord. And God, today we pray we take of Jesus, who's the living bread. And this morning we pray we take of Jesus, who's the living water. We pray this morning that, God, you'd satisfy every need that's found in this church. And God, we pray the spirit of God would now start a great work in our hearts, taking the precious seed of your word. And now, Lord, breaking up the fallow ground of our hearts and sowing that seed so that Lord where the seed is sown it would bear fruit that would be 25, 50 and 100 fold in abundance Father we need you today we need you to increase our faith we need you to increase our, our concept of the glory of God and the holiness of the Lord we need you to draw us closer to you and most importantly as the five that stood today testifying their faith in Jesus Christ there are some here today who have never placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ your son as Savior and may they recognize Lord that you are God our Savior. You're the God who saves. And Lord, you're the captain of our salvation. And this morning, we pray that the the working of the Holy Spirit would draw men to yourself. Bless this passage of Scripture. Help my words to be clear. Help my thoughts to be clear. I pray for the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God among us today. Bless us. Move us together, we pray. In Jesus' holy name, we pray. And all of God's people say, Amen. You may be seated.
How many of you can imagine a world where there is no sunshine? That would be remarkable. That's just kind of something I can't imagine. A world of darkness. But how many of you can imagine a place where the sun does not set? And we know, I don't know if you've ever heard the term of the midnight sun, but there are, there are places north of us near the Arctic by the North Pole where, the, where they have this phenomena called the midnight sun. And the country of Norway, northern is most close to the, that Arctic area, from May to late July, there's about 76 days per year where the sun does not set for as much as 20 hours. It will set maybe around midnight and rise again at 4 a.m. in the morning. In a city called Svalbard, uh, uh, Norway, which is the northernmost part of that part of that world, they say from April 19th to August 23rd, the sun does not set at all in that part of the world. In the country of Finland, the sun will shine straight for 73 hours during that same period of time. In the northernmost part, it doesn't set at all for 60 consecutive days during the summer. And then Sweden, like Norway, they say in Sweden from May to late August, the sun does not set until midnight and then rises promptly again at 4 a.m. in the morning. I imagine those people there must enjoy the sunlight or they're very sleep deprived during that time. I'm not sure which one. But if we do know this this morning, we're looking at a passage of scripture where a man prays for God to hold the sun still in an area that was not in the Arctic region, an area that was in the Middle East where the sun predictably came up every morning at the same time and predictably came down at the same time. We're studying a prayer that was a remarkable prayer, a prayer of faith, a prayer that teaches us how to have faith in God. We're looking at the day when Joshua prayed for the sun and the moon to stand still for an entire day. And the Bible said the sun hasted not to go down. This morning, God speaks to us from Joshua 10 about a faith that commands the sun to stand still. Would you notice three things about our passage this morning as we consider God's working in Joshua, the nation of Israel, their, their enemies, and your life and my life. First of all, would you notice in verses 1 to, 1 to 7, we see the mention of a faithful friend. We see in verses 1 to 7, the mention of a faithful friend. Now, to go back a little bit as we look at verses 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2 gives us a recap of what we studied last week. Our subject last week was Joshua chapter 9 about how the Gibeonites deceived Joshua and they came to him to ask him to establish a covenant to allow them to be assimilated to be part of the nation of Israel. And basically they duped them. They duped Israel. They duped Joshua. Joshua didn't ask for counsel. They got deceived. And the whole whole summation of what we looked at last week is what do you do when you make a bad decision? Joshua made a bad decision that he couldn't break. In fact, it was such a bad decision, he established it with a covenant which has consequences if it was to be broken. He had to live with the consequences of this particular covenant. But we, as we read in chapter 10 and later chapters of the Bible, that, that covenant he made wound up working for them. But all of us make bad decisions sometimes. But it's a terrible thing when that bad decision was prompted because you were deceived or manipulated or duped or defrauded by someone else. And that's what happened to Joshua here. Well, Joshua signed this covenant and basically pledged that he would protect the Gibeonites. I want you to stand on the map of Israel where we're at right now. Joshua right now is in his headquarters, Gilgal. We studied Gilgal about four or five messages ago. He's over here on the eastern side of Gilgal. Gilgal was right by the Jordan River where they crossed. 
Gibeon is in a mountainous area. The distance from Gilgal to Gibeon is about maybe 30 to 32 miles for them to walk across. What makes it interesting is that it's not a straight path. It's a 30 to 32 mile track that takes itself on a descent into the mountainous areas. When we read here in this passage, when Joshua responds to the request of the Gibeonites to come to their aid... He and his men travel all night. They didn't sleep a wink. Some people believe they didn't sleep a wink for as much as 31, 32 hours. They walked about 31, 32 miles. They make their way. They go up about 3,300 feet in the ascent to the mountains area to come and to help the Gibeonites. And you'll notice there, there's the Gibeonites here. And right next to the Gibeon is the city of Jerusalem, which was on a hillside. Israel did not occupy Jerusalem at the time. Jerusalem was occupied by the Canaanites. All of these people would fall into the names of either Canaanites or the Amorites and finding their descendancy from Canaan one, uh, from, from Genesis chapter 9 to 10 and so they, this meant that, so these other, these other Canaanite nations get word of the fact that, uh, that, that Israel was successful in overcoming Jericho, they were successful in overcoming Ai and on top of that the men of Gibeon which were stronger than most of these other Canaanite cities and they were uh, considered as the Bible says a royal city they beckoned to Joshua to help them, Joshua has accepted them as part of the, part of the nation of Israel. They're accepted. They are slaves in the nation of Israel. They're serving as hewers of wood and drawers of water. And so the other Canaanites are not very happy that the Gibeonites have established this alliance. And they're just thinking in their mind, well, they established the alliance. They turned their backs on us. And so the king of Jerusalem, he beckons to four other kings and cities. He says, hey, and, and, and all of them were below him. All of them were down in the valley area. He says, hey, come up. Come up if you would. We need your help. We need you to come and help us here. And so all four of those other kings respond to them and said they would come. And there was this deep hostility in the hearts of these of these Canaanite Amoritish kings against the nation of Gibeon. On one end, the day before the alliance made, they're all buddy buddy, they're all friends, everything's good. And now they're there now this alliance is made and they have rejected Gibeon. They said, we know what we want to take Gibeon out. Kind of reminds me about the story of about three three or four years ago when Kevin Durant left the Oklahoma uh, Oklahoma City Thunder. It, Kevin Durant was the face of the Oklahoma City City Thunder. Kevin Durant was really the all the team. You thought about the, the Oklahoma Th- City Thunder. You thought about Kevin Durant. And then he made that announcement right around July 4th, I think of 2014 or 2015, that he was going to join up with the uh, with the Warriors because he was a free agent. And all of a sudden, the city that loved Kevin Durant turned on him. Even today, there's great rejection, hostility about that. And he has to be very careful when he goes back to that city because there's hostile feelings in their hearts towards him because he made that change. And that, in a way, is kind of describing the feeling that these Gibeonite, these uh, Amoritish nations felt towards Gibeon. And so these kings call an alliance, a confederacy. They want to go to war against Gibeon. They said, you know, if Gibeon's going to be an alliance with Israel. We better take Gibeon out because they're a bigger city than us. And so you've got five kings who are confederate together who want to fight against Gibeon. Well, Gibeon gets word of this and immediately they send some spies or some men 32 miles away, back to Gilgal to tell Joshua, we're in trouble, we need some help here. Joshua, as we read this, they get the word, notice verse 6, it says, The men of Gibeon sent unto Joshua to the camp to Gilgal, saying, Slack not thy hand from thy servants, 
Come up to us quickly and save us and help us for all the kings of the Amorites that dwell in the mountains are gathered together against us. They were in a pickle of a, of a situation. They were in a situation where they needed help. And you wonder, well, what did Joshua do? Well, Joshua had a covenant with them. And notice the Bible says in verse 7, Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. And what encourages my heart as we start this message this morning, Joshua was faithful as a friend. Joshua was faithful with his promise and his word. And Joshua, for you and I this morning, for those of us who need encouragement, for those of us who feel like we're at our wit's end, for those who feel discouraged by our problems, for those who feel like we're rejected, for those who feel like our problems are bigger than us, for those who feel like that, that announcement from the doctor and that disease diagnosis or that pink slip from my employer that I no longer have a job when we're down and discouraged and we feel like we need help. Listen, Joshua, Joshua responded to these people of Gibeon in the same way he is a picture of Jesus Christ, our Savior. I want to tell you this morning, Jesus is a faithful friend. Jesus is there thick or thin. Jesus is there with you in night or in day. Jesus is there when you have victories and Jesus is there when you have problems. I want to tell you this morning, Jesus is the friend of every person here today. He is a faithful friend. Notice this morning, Jesus is a friend in need. Joshua came when he was needed the most. Verse 7 said, Joshua ascended from Gilgal. He and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. He did not wait and he did not delay. Brother and sister Christ, I want to tell you this morning, sometimes you go through a trial and sometimes you go through difficulty and you feel like God's not moving fast enough. You feel like God's not working according to your timetable. But I want to remind you this morning, our God always is on time and our God never forgets you and me and God knows exactly what he's doing and God's more on time than you and I are on time. And I want to tell you this morning, God is more in control than you think he's in control. And God knows the situation. He controls it. And he knows all about what's going on. He is a friend in need. The Bible says in Proverbs 18, 24, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. I thank God tonight we might be separating distance from earth to heaven, but Jesus Christ is a friend that's closer than a brother. I'm thankful tonight I can have an earthly brother that I can confide in and I can talk to who can be there. But Jesus is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Listen this morning, sister in Christ. And listen this morning, brother in Christ. And listen today, someone who's lost a loved one. And listen this morning to someone who's got a loved one, who's got physical failure. And listen to me this morning, if you're going through bitterness and anger and difficulty in your life, Jesus is there for you this morning there. He's there for us when we're scared. Look at Mark chapter 9, verses 37 to 39. He's there for us when we're scared. In Mark chapter 9, we have the story of one of several storms his disciples went through. And this is one of the first early storms. The Bible says that they were crossing the Sea of Galilee, which was known because of it being below sea level. It was known for just the, the, the pressure system creating turbulent storms unannounced. The Bible says there in Mark chapter 9, verse 37, there arose a great storm of wind. I wonder this morning, am I talking to somebody, there's a great storm of wind blowing in your life? Am I talking to somebody this morning, a hurricane is blowing in your life? There's a tornado that's coming to your life, and it's turning things upside down, and not just ripping the roof off your house, it's ripping the roots 
fruits out of your soul. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And the Bible says in verse 38, And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they wake him, and they say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he rose and rebuked the wind. And I want you to notice what he said. He said three words that calm every storm. You mark that down this morning. He spoke three words that calmed every storm. He said, Peace. Be still. Can you say that with me this morning? Peace. Be still. Can you say that again with me this morning? Peace. Be still. Aren't you glad this morning there was a storm that was on the lake and it bothered those disciples? But I want to tell you, there's no storm in your life that bothers Jesus. I'm going to tell you this morning, there's no storm that anybody will have in their life that bothers our Savior and the God of gods and the Lord of lords. And as they woke him up, he came and he looked at those waters that he created and the wind that he blew from his own mouth. And he said, peace, be still. And I'm going to tell you this morning, Jesus, as a friend in need, he's there when we're scared. Would you notice he's there when we're suffering? Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus gives us some wonderful words. And those of you new to the faith or perhaps have not read the gospel, Matthew, I hope that you'll wrap your heart, your thoughts around these verses. Matthew 11, verse 28, the Bible says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yes, Jesus is there when we're scared, but beloved, this morning Jesus is there when we're suffering, when we feel like the burden is too great and it's too heavy to bear, and we're leaning over and we feel like we're about to buckle. And he says, let's trade places. He says, you take my yoke, which is very heavy. If you if you look at a physical, it's yoke. But he says, the yoke I give you is easy and it's light compared to the yoke that you have. Can I tell you some this morning, many of us here in this room unnecessarily carry burdens and problems and griefs that God wants you to give to him. You're carrying burdens you don't need to carry. You've got excess baggage and excess weight you've got to let go. And here we have the Lord is giving us an invitation. He says, come to me. Listen, you'll go to the counselor, you'll go to the psychologist, you'll go to the teacher, and you'll go to the CEO, and you'll go to this guy and that guy and Dr. Phil and all the rest. Listen, go to Jesus this morning. Amen. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Listen, when he uses the word labor, he's talking about just your efforts are futile and you're going in circles and you're going nowhere. Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden. And he promises the word of a gentleman, the word of a God who never fails. I will give you rest thankful this morning that as a faithful friend, he's a friend in need. But notice, as a faithful friend, he's a friend indeed as well. Do you notice with me this morning, John 15, 13. Greater love is no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Joshua made a pledge to the people of Gibeon. You might say that they just chiseled away You might just say on the rock and you might say that the parchment they signed off on with the ink was still wet. You might say that they barely had time to let the ink dry. And now already they're asking for help there and they want help immediately and they want help instantaneously. They said, come up and help us. Would you help us there? And listen, when Joshua ascended, he said, I've got this covenant to make. Joshua understood there were risks associated with this covenant. He knew there was a risk he could lose his life. He knew there's a risk that he could lose some men. He knew there's a risk behind that, but he accepted those risks because he was a man who made a pledge and a promise. Listen to me this morning in Genesis. 
Genesis 3.15, after Adam and Eve had sinned, and the curse of sin came upon the whole world, and by one man sinned into the world, and death by sin. So then death is passed upon all men, because all have sinned. Listen, our Lord gave us Genesis 3.15 to remind us of the seed of the woman that would bruise the head of the serpent. And the seed of the woman was talking about the promise of the Messiah, of our Lord Jesus Christ, that would come years later. Nobody could really know at that moment in time exactly when Jesus would come. But thank God He has come. And thank God He's died for our sins. And He gave us that verse here in John 15, 13. Greater love is no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You want to show you really, you really love somebody? You really want to show that you mean what you say? Be willing to put your life down as a sacrifice for that other person. Be willing to die for them. I'm saying this morning, it ought to be every husband ought to be willing to die for his wife. And every wife ought to be willing to die for her husband. And every parent ought to be willing to die for their children. But I'm going to tell you this morning, we have a God in heaven who sent his perfect, sinless, wonderful, eternal son. He came here in all the effulgence of glory and inhabited the body of a man. And being found in fashion as a man, he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And our Savior walked the shores of Galilee. God became a man. By the way, it's not man becoming a God. It's God who became a man. God became a man. And listen, there was no sin in Him. And Lord, the Bible tells us that He dwelt among us and we beheld His glory full of grace and truth. And there, three years after He made His announcement of His ministry at the age of 30, at the age of 33, He took that old rugged cross and He walked up the hill of Golgotha. And there, He laid down His life for you and me. He laid down His life for His friends. He laid down His life without any conditions. He laid down His life without any grievances. He laid down His life for us without any regrets. He died for every sinner. He had his body pierced. He had his body bleeding. He had his body to place. We said, I give it all. There was nothing. Jesus held back. Listen, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. I'm thankful this morning we have a friend who is a friend indeed. Jesus went all the way for you and me to Calvary. And if he went all the way for you and me to Calvary, I would tell you, no problem you have is so great. He won't go all the way for you. And that problem as well, there too. A faithful friend. Matthew Henry said this, Come and see the victories of the cross. Christ's wounds are thy healings. His agonies, his, thy repose. His conflicts, thy conquests. His groans, thy songs. His pains, thy knees. His shame, thy glory. His death, thy life. His sufferings, thy salvation. I'm thankful this morning we see a faithful friend. Would you notice a second thing this morning? And this is the crux of our message today. Verses 1 to 7, we see a faithful friend. In verses 8 to 14, would you notice a phenomenal faith? You can't go through the Bible without realizing God wants us to increase our faith. God wants to stretch our faith. The just shall live by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. We must be a people that trust in the Lord with all our hearts. We must walk by faith. And we see this morning the phenomena of Joshua's faith. Notice several things we see here. We see Joshua going to victory. In verse 7, he's traveled all night. He's been up all day. He's been up all day. The last wink of sleep he had was 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock that previous morning. He's been up all day. He gets the call from the Gibeonites, come up and help us. They make their trek. He assembles his men. We believe he could have had as many as 500,000 of his warriors go with him. And they make this trek all through the night. It's a 30-mile trek through the night. They needed to get there before daylight. They needed to get there to catch the enemy by surprise. They needed to get there before those five kings would assemble and attack Gibeon. And he made his way there. They walked 30-something miles, and inclusive of that, 
that, they ascended up 3,300 feet into a mountainous area they had not traveled before to do battle with them. And listen, you can imagine, they must have been tired, and they must have been weary, and they must have felt bone weary, and they must have felt like they needed a, they needed some respite there along the way. And as they got there, we find here in verses 8 to 14, we find God's record concerning the confrontation with those five kings and what God did there. And I want to tell you this morning as we look at that, this is so important. If you miss what I tell you this morning on this, you're going to miss one of the most important uh, teachings and truths of the Word of God concerning the building of our faith. God wants you to add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience and to patience godliness and to godly brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, has forgotten what manner of man he is. God wants us to have a growing faith. God wants us to have an expanding faith. God wants us to have a stretched faith. God wants us to have a praying faith. God wants us to have an incredible faith. I'm not talking to Joe Austin kind of faith. I'm talking about a Bible type of faith. Amen? I'm not talking about a T.D. Jakes kind of faith. I'm talking about a Bible kind of faith. A faith that can move mountains. A faith that can say the Red Sea opened up. A faith that can say to the Jordan River, turn to the side so the people can go through. A faith like Joshua that can pray for the sun to stand still in one day. And I want you to see some things today because our faith is so small. And our faith is so infantile. And our faith is yet to get off the ground. And our faith is yet to grasp all the things that God wants us to get today. Notice, first of all, in this phenomenal faith, that God leading him to this. Notice in verses 8 to 11, God gives him an encouraged persuasion. How many believe this morning a little bit of encouragement is helpful through the day, amen? How many are thankful for encouragement? Aren't you glad about that? I woke up my heart heavy this morning. Both my wife and I couldn't sleep much last night for different reasons. And I guess it's just getting excited for getting ready for Sunday. We, we get excited about Saturday. And, and uh, you know, we just have a hard time just sleep, kind of a very light sleep there. And, and it had some burdens on my heart early, early this morning. And I was reading through my Bible and going through praying, reading through my Bible and praying. And, and God, the Lord impressed on me to read Psalms 138 this morning. I read Psalms 138. And uh, the Bible, the last verse there, just God gave me courage. And he said this, now the Lord will perfect that concerning you. I said, God, you knew I needed that so, so greatly. And it just all the verses that went before. For them. And every single chapter I read this morning was exactly medicine for the day. Several weeks ago, I was burdened one night, and there's just so many things going on in my life, and the church life, and all kinds of things that I got burdened. And I was reading through the book of Lamentations, and I stopped at chapter two, and God gave me a verse out of there that I needed. And I spent most of that night up praying. I went to bed and got out of bed, and went to bed and got up, was praying. God gave me a verse of scripture how to get a hold of God. And I'm saying this morning, every now and then, you and I need encouragement. Husbands need encouragement. Wives need encouragement. Teenagers need encouragement. College students need encouragement. Retirees need encouragement. Pastors need encouragement. Sunday school teachers need encouragement. Babies need encouragement. I mean, I'm telling you this morning, every single person here today, we need encouragement today. Amen. Notice how God encourages him. Notice verse 8. He gives him encouragement through the word. And the Lord said to Joshua, they're going up that mountainside. I like stair climbing. And every now and then, if I make a hospital visit by myself, I don't like taking the elevators. If it's less than eight floors, I just take the, I take the stairs, try to take the stairs up. But I'll tell you this, the first, the first flight, the second flight, third flight, fourth, they're okay. I get about the fifth flight, I'm starting to feel it at that point in time, amen? I'm starting to feel it at the sixth flight. And if it's eight flights I gotta go, I start thinking, man, I should have taken that elevator there. But I keep on going and my, my, my thighs are ripping and my knees are buckling there, but I keep on going. Sometimes when you're going up a hill, when you're making a scent, it hurts. And sometimes when you're going up, you feel it. 
But listen, God came to Joshua at a time where maybe for just a moment between verses 7 and 8, there may be some doubts crossed his mind and maybe some uncertainties came in his heart, just like you and me. And the Bible says, the Lord said to Joshua, fear them not, for I've delivered them into thy hand. There shall not a man of them stand before thee. God gave him an encouraging word. He heard the same promise when God told him he was going to replace Moses. He said, no man shall stand before thee. God was giving him the assurance. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to worry about the uncertainties. You don't have to worry about this foe. You don't have to worry about the night. You don't have to worry about the journey. You don't have to worry about the path. You don't have to worry about mountainsides. You don't have to worry about what kind of enemies they are. You don't have to worry about how tall they are. And by the way, this was a giant race of people. They were called the Rephiums. He said, you don't have to worry about those things. He said, because I'm with you. He said, fear not. I've already given them into your hand. Listen, God gives us the promise of his word. But notice verse 11. He encouraged them. Verse 10. Then he encouraged them concerning his warfare. The Bible says in verse verse 8, he gave him that promise. They went up with them suddenly and came to Gilgal from Gilgal all night. In verse 10, notice verse 10. And the Lord discomfited them before Israel. Hey, how many count that this, this morning? It wasn't Joshua finding them. It was God finding them. Amen. God was fighting for him. The Bible says the Lord discovered them before Israel and slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon. And then they chased them from the top of Gibeon on the mountain track. They chased them all the way back down into the valley area. I mean, there was a lot of walking, a lot of running, a lot of chases going on. And I'm talking about men that are they're basically running on adrenaline at this time. They've gone they've gone 30 something hours and they're fighting and they're wiping out. And the amazing thing is we read this passage of scripture. Joshua did not lose one man in this this military conflict. He didn't lose one man. I believe, in fact, my, my faith is so strong in what God gave him. Verse 8, not only did he not lose one man, I don't think there was one man that was injured. I don't think there was one man that was scratched. I don't think there was one man that had any fear of anything going on because the Bible says the Lord discovered them before Israel and slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon and chased them along the way of the gold up to Beth Horon and smote them to Zekah and to Makedah. I'm saying this to our God encouraged him through persuasion. He came alongside of Joshua at a remarkable time to bolster his faith. He said, number one, let me encourage you through the word. Number two, let me encourage you about your warfare. But number three, would you notice verse 11, he encouraged him about the weather. And it came to pass that they fled from before Israel. And when they're going down to Beth Horon, these people knew the pathway better than Joshua. They're trying to escape and get down the valley area. You read verse 11, God sent this hailstorm. I'm not talking Hailstorms this big. I'm talking about hailstorms about this big. Hailstorms that he had seen before in Egypt when God sent the plagues. Hailstones that came from heaven and as things descend from the sky, they have velocity, they pick up momentum, and they're much heavier when they come down like projectiles that come down upon his target. And in Egypt, he saw that when the hailstones came down and destroyed all the cops and all the cattle and all those things. But in this remarkable situation, God was controlling the weather. Now, you know this. You've seen hail here in the Bay Area or other parts of the world. You know that the climate condition has to be just right up in the atmosphere has to be such a cold temperature to produce hail, to turn water into ice, and for it to come down and plummet in such a way, it has to be at such a perfect, such a perfect temperature or atmospheric pressure that when it comes down, it'll still retain its character as ice. And I want to tell you, it wasn't little little pebbles that God was sending. God was pelleting them with Bible says great stones. I believe these these hailstones could have been as much as twenty five fifty, or even as the Book of Revelation talks about, a hundred pound hailstones that were coming down the sky and. He 
if you read verse 11, all of these men that were trying to escape from, from Joshua, they had a head start. God was using these projectiles from heaven and these hailstones to take them out. And listen, there was not one man of Israel that was hit by the hailstone. That's even more remarkable there when you think about God's precision on this. And the Bible tells us in that verse, there were more men that were killed by the hailstones than those who were done by the fighting. That's God. Amen. You know our problem? We want to fight the battles that God said He'll fight for us. You're trying to fight an anger problem when you need to let God fight that anger problem. You're trying to fight with somebody that's against you when you just need to realize, let the Lord take care of the battle. You're trying to get the gospel to somebody who's antagonistic to you and you've got kind of an attitude towards them as well. Let the Lord fight the battle. Encourage him by his persuasion. Listen, God was doing something in Joshua's life to bolster his faith and increase his faith. I'm telling you this day, a lot of us walk right past the words of encouragement God gives us. A lot of us walk right past daily the encouragement through warfare and many times the encouragement by even the weather when God does something phenomenal in our lives there. I want you to notice something else. Would you notice verse 12? Joshua's given an encouraging persuasion, but this is the part I don't want you to miss. I want you to notice in verse 12, verse 13, Joshua prays an extraordinary prayer. May I ask you a question this morning? What is the greatest thing you've ever prayed for that required all of God to do it and nothing of you? When's the last time you prayed for something that only God could answer? When's the last time you explicitly, from all your heart, said, God, I need you to do something? And as Joshua is fighting this battle and the sun is rising, the sun is going up and they're chasing down the valley to Beth Horon. He's looking at the sun's about midday, according to the past the scriptures, right? Maybe 11 or 12 o'clock midday. And Josh is winning the battle. I mean, he has it hands down. God already told me he'd win the battle. But Josh, in his mind, his, his faith has been encouraged. At that moment in time, Josh is realizing there's more that can be done. And he's realizing, man, I, it's like we don't have to worry about a thing here. God is winning this battle for us. And there are more being dying from the hailstones than there are by the sword. And he's thinking well, that God wants something more out of me. Listen, where there's victories and there's great achievements, there's more that God wants to do through your life and mine. And that moment in time, he impressed on him was the exercise of faith. And impressed on him in verse 12, there's something I've got to do more than I've ever done before. I want to try the resources of God. I want to stretch the ability of God. I want God to show himself strong to the 500,000 men that are with me. And I want God to show himself strong to all these Canaanite pagan nations that God is real. And Joshua prays an extraordinary prayer, which you notice verse 12, please. Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. Now, notice there's a comma there. He already had the victory. He already won. It was It was in his bag. He had it. At that moment in time, he decided to stretch his faith out and do something more and pray for something greater and pray for something that was never prayed for before and never has been prayed for since then. He asked God to intervene to do something. And notice in this prayer, the simplicity and yet the greatness of the prayer. He said in the sight of Israel, where every soldier could hear, I almost can imagine him shouting out this prayer. He said, Son, stand thou still upon Gibeon and thou moon in the valley of Ireland. He says in this area we're at right now, 
where the cough is going on. Lord, I don't want the sun to stand still. I want the sun to stay right where it's at. I want it to stay where it's at because I want to get the job done. I want it to stay where it's at because I want more of the power of God. I want it to stay right where it's at because I'm more, I need more time to get it done. He wasn't interested in six hours going by and the sun setting and they'd have to sleep and they'd have to wait again. No, listen, they were full of energy. They were all perked up. They were ready to go. They were winning the battle and they said, listen, my men have seen God at work. I want to see God at work in an even greater way. And a moment of time when they had the victory in the sack, listen, they decided that time, let's pray for God to do something great. And he prayed for God to hold the sun still for him at that moment of time. He prayed a prayer for God to do something great for him. He prayed for more time to work for his advantage. He prayed for the astronomy to be subject to the request of God. He prayed for something that would be a miraculous result. He prayed for something out of the ordinary. He prayed for something only God can do. He prayed a prayer of great faith. Hebrews 11, 6 says, without faith. And by the way, without faith, we're failures. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. He prayed a prayer that believed that God is. He prayed a prayer that believed God can. He prayed a prayer that believed God will. He prayed a prayer that says God still does. He prayed a great prayer of faith. Faith. Joshua said, I believe. He said, I believe God is able. I believe God can hold the sun still. I believe God will hold the sun still. I believe God can hold it still and give us more. He'll give us more time. He'll give us more advantage. He'll give us more opportunity. He'll give us more faith. He'll give us more victory. Listen, beloved, as I look at the history of Heritage Baptist Church and when God, what God has done in this church, I keep saying it over and over again, it's a work of faith. It's the testimony of a great God working on behalf of His people. Listen, from the very outset when the church started, the church should have never succeeded. And how God started us out, how down in downtown Oakland, and then God let us go from a Class A building to a no-class building over in East Oakland, amen. And there, in spite of all that, and just not necessarily a very good location, God still grew His church. And then how God led us from that location there in East Oakland over to here to 2960 Merced Street. And how God has led us through our building program. And God helped us even when we were less than five years old to acquire this property. And since that time, we've done two building programs at a moment in time when in 2007 the city said we couldn't build. And they wouldn't let us build and they refused it. And they had the city attorney there and outside council as well there telling us we couldn't build. They said, it's not going to happen. And six months to the day, they called me back up and said, Pastor Fong, we've reconsidered our situation. We're going to let you build on that property. And listen, the testimony of that is this building we're in right now. The testimony of that is a building right next door to us. And I'm saying today, thank God for great faith. Thank God for God's people following the faith of their pastor. Thank God for people having faith in God. Thank God for deacons that have faith and staff that have faith and laymen that have faith. And thank God you've given by faith and you've prayed by faith. But I'm telling you right now, there's more to do by faith. There's more that God wants us to do. God wants us to rise up. There's still a sun that needs to stand still. There's still, we need more time to get the gospel out. We need more time for our life. I prayed and asked God this week. I said, God, I'm 60 years of age. Give me many more years and many more time to get more done and get the gospel as many people as we can. I'm not contented with just the one and the two and the three. God, give us thousands and millions of people that can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm saying he prayed for more and you need to pray for more. And I need to pray for more that God will do in our lives. James 5, 16 to 18 says this. Confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. He prayed that it might not rain and he prayed, he prayed earnestly that it might not rain and rain not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again. The heavens gave rain and the earth brought forth her fruit. Joshua's type of praying is the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. 
He met all the conditions for faith praying. He met all the conditions for answered prayer. He prayed this even though he was tired. He prayed this even though he had the victory already. He prayed this even though he was at war. He prayed this even though he was on the mountain. He prayed this even though he was winning. He prayed this because he knew God would answer his prayer. Oh, what to God this morning? Would you and you and you and you? Would you rise up? Come alongside this preacher? Pray some extraordinary prayers with me? There's more that God wants to do. There's more that God wants to accomplish. You ask our men to have worked on these buildings. No man could have done this. God did this. There's still more to go. Pray an extraordinary prayer. But you notice an exclusive performance. Did you notice verse 13? I'm thankful as I read verse 13, 14. We have a God who answers prayer. Amen. And the son stood still. Every father wants his little boy. Son, stand still. Amen. So we tell our boys, the teenage boys, stand still. But we're talking about the sun standing still. You understand the orbits. If you take an astronomy and science and all this stuff there, only God can control that. The sun stood still and the moon stayed until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. You know how great this, 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 this event was? It's not only recording God's word. Do you notice it's recorded in a secular book? It's called the book of Jasher. It was a poetic book. For many years after that, they'd go to this book of Jasher and they would sing about this victory. They remembered that God gave this man a victory through prayer. There's just some things God does that are unforgettable. The Bible says in verse 14, there was no day like that before it or after it, that the Lord hearkened unto the voice of a man. For the Lord fought for Israel. It was exclusive to Joshua because Joshua was the one who prayed it. I've asked God for our church. Lord, raise us some prayer warriors in our church who pray like Joshua. Pray for God to open doors that are closed. Some of us have gone to the place we've just resigned ourselves. We think it's too hard. I think it's impossible. May I remind you today, there's nothing too hard for the Lord. God showed them that, 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 that morning, that midday. With God, all things are possible. God showed them that he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Charles Spurgeon said, prayer is the slender nerve that moveth the muscle of omnipotence. Are you someone that would exercise faith like Joshua and ask God to do something extraordinary? Or are you just going to live an ordinary life and do your thing and check in and check out? Or how about do something extraordinary by praying for something great? Are you someone that would exercise faith and glorify God by asking for something that would be once in a lifetime? 
You someone that would exercise faith and glorify God by asking to do an exclusive performance. I'm saying today, as we look at this man, we see in this passage of Scripture, we see a faithful friend. We see a phenomenal faith. As we close this morning, would you notice we see a finished foe? They're still defeating the enemy. We're not done yet. We're almost done. They chased him from the mountains all the way down the valley. Those pagans who thought, well, maybe their God is the God of the mountain. He's not the God of the valley. God should know I'm the God of the mountain. I'm also the God of the valley. He chased them all the way down there, defeated them. I want you to see as we close today, God gave them a finished transaction. May I remind you today, as we do battle with Satan and he's real, and the world and it's real, and it's pressures, and the flesh and it's real. May I remind you today, all of them are defeated foe. All of them are a finished foe. They were defeated at Calvary. They were defeated when Jesus came out of the tomb. Hey, say with me today, Satan is a defeated foe. As we consider that and what Joshua gave him, we notice in verses 22 to 27 very quickly, we see this foe is finished because we have a powerful mastery. There were hailstones that killed more than were claimed by the edge of the sword. Five of these kings in verses 22 to 27 They're thinking, man, we are whooped. And they ran into a valley area and they found a cave because that area is filled with caves. They found a hillside and ran into a cave and hid themselves. And and Joshua's men had followed them there. And they came back. Joshua said, what do we do? They're in the cave. What do you want us to do? He said, well, we we have unfinished business. I want you to put some stones on the the mouth of those caves and and just bury those guys with the stones. We'll come back for them. And then Joshua went on and defeated defeated the foe. Then he came back. And as he came back, notice in verses 24 to 25, it says, And it came to pass when they brought out those kings unto Joshua, that Joshua called for the men of Israel and said unto the captains of the men of war which went with them. Watch this now. Come near. Put your feet upon the necks of these kings. And they came near and put their neck, their feet upon the necks of them. And Joshua said unto them, Fear not, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of a good courage. For thus shall the Lord do to all your enemies against whom you fight. And I love this part of Scripture here. Because Joshua said, Bring those men out. Put them on their backs. Put your feet on. Captains, you come and put your, put your feet on their necks. And you let them know you dominate your control. And what a wonderful Old Testament picture of a wonderful promise that God gives us over in Romans chapter 16 and verse 20. In Romans 16, 20, it's reminded to us that Satan is a defeated foe, not because of us, but because of Jesus. Satan is defeated. And the Bible says in Romans 16, 20, and the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. I'm saying today, stop hiding in the corner. Stop thinking you're defeated. Stop thinking you can't win and come out and bring those kings out and put your neck, your feet on top of their necks and let them know that the God of peace is bruised Satan under your feet right now. I'm saying today we have a powerful mastery because of our Savior, Jesus Christ. But notice the proven means. They took those five kings, hung them on trees until they were dead. They took their bodies down, put them back in those caves. And cover the caves up with rocks. Then you read the rest of the chapter. Joshua pursued. And he fought. And he defeated them. Not just five cities. But six cities. Because the sixth one, Gezer, came alongside Alakish to try to help them. And the most remarkable thing, if you'll notice this, write this down. In verses 28, 30, 32, 37. 
and 39. It tells us the proven means. Verses 30, 28, 30, 32, 37, 39. Repeatedly, he defeated them by the edge of the sword. Brother and sister in Christ, you and I don't have enough power to beat the devil. We don't have in us to beat the flesh or the pressures of society. They defeated them by the edge of the sword. What a wonderful picture of the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, that's quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. It's the divider of the thoughts, intents of the heart. Just like old Ehud went to the king of King Eglon of Moab, and he took that little saber out and he thrust it in deeply. You need to thrust the sword of God's, God's word deeply in. And the Bible said when he did so, the dirt came out. Listen, we can't get the sin out unless we get the word deep into our hearts. He says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. They were finished foe. The remarkable thing is we get through this chapter. I want you to see the, the last two verses here, especially if you would. Verse 41 and 42. Joshua smote them from Kadesh Barnea, even unto Gaza, and all the country Goshen, even unto Gibeon. They went all the way down to the borderlines of Egypt, back up to the mountains. Would you notice verse 42? And all these kings and their land. Notice that. All these kings and all their land did Joshua take at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for them. Why did he pray for the sons to stand still? He wanted to get the job done at one time. Why did he pray for the sun to stand still? There was more to be done and it wasn't his power to do it unless God intervened. He needed more time. He needed more power. He needed more opportunity. He needed more daylight. He needed more of God. And guess what? God heard him because never was there a day where God hearkened to the voice of man like he hearkened unto Joshua. What a great faith. As we close, I'm reminded this morning <clears throat> about these five kings. These five kings were taken and hung on a tree. These five kings had to die for their sins, for their crimes, for their lack of repentance, their unwillingness to put their faith in the God of Israel. And those men hung on those trees for their own sins. Those men's bodies were taken down, declared dead, cast into the cave, rocks covered up the cave, and there is no power, no ability. Those men were dead. They are still dead. The remains are still in those caves, wherever it's at in the Middle East there, in that particular part of the world. They're still there. Those men have, they've rotted away. Listen, those men were finished. They were put there. There was nothing they could do for themselves. They had to die for their sins. But I am reminded that we go from 1450 BC, when those five kings were hung on the tree and placed in those caves, and they were declared dead. I remind we fast forward from 1450 B.C. to around 32 or 33 A.D. And another king is on the scene. And this is the king of heaven. The king who put on himself the form of a man. Was made in likeness of man. And he became just like you and me. Yet without sin. He was tempted in all points like as we are. Yet without sin. And that king came to earth. And he was also put on a cross. But he wasn't put on the cross for his sins. Because he had no sin. He was put on the cross for the sins of you. And the sins of me. And for the sins of all the world. And that king 
king. His name is Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for every sinner. He died not for his sins because he had not. He died for our sins. And when he died for our sins, the last thing he said on that cross was, it is finished. When he said it was finished, it was consummated. The transaction was dead. And our sin price was paid in full on the person of Jesus Christ. They took his body off the tree. And the man by the name of Joseph Arimathea claimed his body. And a man by the name of Nicodemus claimed his body. And they spent all their money, put a hundred pounds of spices on his body and wrapped it up in clean linen cloth. They took his body and gave him a decent burial in a borrowed tomb. They put him in that borrowed tomb there. They rolled a boulder over it. The boulder had the seal of Rome on it. And the seal of Rome said, if you break this seal, you're going to be put to death. But listen, I'm going to tell you three days later, as before the sun came up, listen, before the sun came up, there was light in those eyes. There was breath in that mouth. There was air in those lungs. There was life in that heart. There was sensation in those fingers and that those feet. And I'm going to tell you this morning, Jesus came alive. Jesus was alive at that moment in time and He's still alive today. And He rolled that stone away. And when they came looking for a dead man, they said, "Here's no dead man here. He's alive. He's risen from the dead. And I remind you, there's a King who came to die for your sins. He took your place on the cross and He rose again from the dead. And He offers to you the wonderful free gift of eternal life this morning. The day the sun sits still, God validated his approval of Joshua in an unquestionable way. First, he validated the faithfulness of Joshua as a friend. Second, he validated the, the phenomenon of Joshua's faith. Last, he validated the favor for Joshua over his foes. Two things and we're done. Number one, is there a burning desire in your heart to have a faith like Joshua? You want to pray for something? It's out of the box. To prove he's exceeding, he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. If you just sit there this morning, it doesn't stir you. You'll walk out those doors just as ordinary as you came in. But you look at this chapter. And that extraordinary faith. God's looking for some men and some ladies who pray just like Joshua. Son, stand thou still. And then today, there's a step between us and death. David said that. There's a step between me and death. When you leave this life, you're either going to heaven or you're going to hell. And I'm going to tell you something very fatal right now. We're all born in this world with a sinful nature. And because of that sinful nature, the sentence of sin is already upon us. We're already condemned to hell. God doesn't want you to spend eternity in hell. God wants you to know that He punished your sins and mine on His Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for us. He's not a dead Savior. He's risen from the dead. And today, in spirit, he extends his arms with a great invitation. Come unto me. Come unto me. Come unto me. Would you get saved this morning? Don't be stubborn. Don't put it off another day. Don't look for a convenient time. Don't say like Herod Agrippa, almost thou persuadest me, almost won't get you into heaven. 
Say, Lord, I want to take you right now to be my Savior and my Lord and my best friend. I give the invitation. I'm going to invite you to trust Jesus today. If you're not saved, we're going to invite you to trust Jesus. I'm going to give the invitation. Would you find your way around the auditorium at the front where you're seated? And humble yourself before God as Joshua did. Say, Lord, I need that kind of a faith. There's some things, God, you put in my heart today that I need to pray for, that I pray you'll do. Father in heaven, we ask this morning that the inspiration of Joshua's faith would stir us and help us today to recognize there's more. There's more out of life. There's more out of the Christian life. There's more of faith. There's more of the Holy Spirit. There's more service. There's more sacrifice. There's more giving. There's more of the joy of the Lord. There's more we can claim. How many Christians would say this morning, Pastor Fong, God spoke to me about the need for greater faith and praying like Joshua. Would you pray for me right now that God will help me to be just like Joshua? Would you raise your hand this morning all over the room? How many would pray, God, help me to be like a Joshua this morning? God bless you. Now, if you're not saved this morning, can I help you today? God pricked your heart. You know you want to get saved. You want to be sure heaven's your home. You can pray a prayer just like this. You follow me, but make this your prayer and mean it with all your heart, with a heart of repentance. You can pray this. Dear God, I confess today I'm a sinner who deserves hell, but I want to be saved. I believe your son Jesus is 100% God who died for my sins and rose again from the dead. I take Jesus now to be my Savior, my best friend, my Lord, my God. I take Him now to be my Savior so that I can go to heaven. Thank you for saving me and for the gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name. Still your heads bowed, eyes closed. Now, I'm going to ask you to exercise some courage. If you prayed that prayer just now, would you raise your right hand just to let me know, Pastor Fong, I want you to know I prayed and asked Jesus right now to be my Savior. I just want you to know that. Anyone like that today? You'd raise your hand and say, Pastor, I prayed and asked Christ to be my Savior this morning. Anyone like that? Anyone like that today? We'll wait just a moment. God pricked your heart today about getting saved. Anyone like that? But Father, you know the hearts of everyone here. I pray you'd have your way. May your, may your will be done on earth right now as it is in heaven. As we give the invitation, we pray for this in Jesus' name. Let's stand. And you can bow your heads and close your eyes. But if God's compressed on you, don't, don't delay and don't be ashamed. You come this morning and find your place either at your seat or at the altar today. Would you have a moment with God? We need some men and some women who have a prayer life, a faith like Joshua. Would you do that this morning? You say, I'm not ashamed of the Lord. I want, I want a prayer life like that. I want to be able to pray like that. I want to be able to get a hold of God like Joshua. Would you come this morning? There's still time. If you're not saved, we invite you this morning. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. If you've been away. Come to the Lord. He wants you. He loves you. He's a faithful friend. He's a friend in need. And he's a friend indeed. You come to him right now. Father, the word of God has spoken to us. We draw our service to an end. Our hearts are 
thrilled and overflowing, our cups overflowing about the goodness of the Lord. In just a moment, Lord, as we go our separate ways, would you please have your way in our lives? Be honored. Be pleased with the decisions. Thank you for increasing faith. Thank you, Lord, for those who accept the challenge to be men and women of prayer. May God, we see changes in our society, in our area because of that. And for struggles that are still going on, I pray that we just come to Jesus, like he said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, that come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden. He said, and I will give you rest. Help us to claim that today. Father, thank you for loving us. If someone got saved today, I pray that they'd not be ashamed of you, but make that acknowledgement known in public. And we'll thank you for this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe seated. We're going to do a quick connect video so you can get updated about something. A lot of things. Let me tell you a real, real big thing. I'll be back tonight uh, preaching a just a very encouraging passage from number uh, from the book of Nehemiah on what to expect at the end of a construction project. It has nothing to do with next Sunday's grand, uh, grand opening, but you need to hear this tonight. It just will help encourage your heart about what God's doing and the timing of everything. And uh, we want you to get ready for that. And next Sunday is the Victory Sunday. I want to encourage every adult here today, every adult, you're not enrolled in one of our adult growth groups. You need to enroll in that. I want you to see either me or Brother Dave or Brother Denny and Brother Erwin or Brother Justin. I want you to see one of our men today. And I want you, Brother Joe's going to close the prayer. You come see one of us about enrolling in one of the adult growth groups and how this can be a big help to you on Sunday morning from 9 to 10 o'clock every morning. And I want you to do that so you can make, make some friendships in the church, but also just get your, get your life sharpened and encouraged. And uh, my burning prayer for you is that you're part of a growth group and really grow. We have some new people assimilated into our higher ground growth group or class this morning and just i think there was a great 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 just a great connection of people and personalities there and i want you to be part of that those who are already part of one thank you for being there i want you to re-enroll and i want you to bring other people to be part of that and that'll be a wonderful thing brother joe you come and close this prayer after we watch your connect video thank you